Bowl games are underway. The SEC will get going soon. And, of course, the college football playoff will be here on January 1st. But before we get to that point, it's signing week. December signing period began on Wednesday. And does it mean what it used to? I'm not sure that it does with the transfer portal in high gear like it is. Welcome in to SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. John, we are recording this actually on uh, signing day eve. By the time our listeners are listening to this, it is it is signing day or later. But I'm just struck by the fact that you know, we still pay attention to the recruiting rankings. They still matter to a certain extent. I mean, you look at uh, the top classes in this signing hall, uh, depending on your ranking service of choice, some of the top schools are Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Florida State, Texas. I mean, what's in common about all those teams, right? They're either in the college football playoff or they were in contention for the college football playoff into late November. So, Recruiting still matters, and yet there's more than one way to go about this, and I feel like as time goes on here, these recruiting rankings matter a little bit less, and the transfer class rankings are starting to matter a little bit more. What's your take on the situation? Oh, I think so too, Blake, Uh, and I know you're on other talk shows and around the Southeast and wherever, and I am too, but the conversation now just is so different than it was in earlier Decembers when you had uh, much of the talk was about recruiting, uh, bowl preparation, that kind of thing. Who's opting out? Who's staying in? We still have some of that, but the transfer portal clearly rules because this is uh, this isn't just hope for the future. It's instant hope for the future for so many programs. Uh, and that's why I think that's why fans are so enthralled with it. And, and one of the coaches who's been enthralled with this from really day one since this rule changed in 2021, allowing immediate eligibility uh, for all transfers versus it used to be graduate transfers had immediate eligibility or the guys who got waivers had immediate eligibility, but not everyone could get immediate eligibility. Now you can. And, and one of the coaches uh, who welcomed this right from the beginning was Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. And and he's pretty, he's been pretty honest about how he doesn't think Ole Miss can recruit, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he doesn't think Ole Miss can recruit to the level of Alabama and Georgia. And so if you want to compete with the big dogs, uh, you got to find another way to do it as the coach at Ole Miss. And the way he's done it is by, you know, you look at his recruiting class right now, it's uh you know, as we record this, it's a top 20 class, but it's not rivaling the likes of Georgia and Alabama. However, once again, Lane uh, is proving himself as the portal king. Uh, I mean, he's got a, a, a transfer class that's ranked number one in the nation right now. Um, Ten guys are, are committed to that class right now. And it's not just warm bodies, right? These are, are high-level contributors, uh, guys that have played in the SEC already. You look at Tyler Barron an edge rusher from Tennessee who's been a productive uh, guy getting to the quarterback the last couple seasons. Tamarian McDonald, a veteran defensive back from Tennessee. Uh, DeCameron Richardson, a a veteran cornerback from Mississippi State. Juice Wells, who's been a star receiver for South Carolina. 
in the past, right? I mean, several others that that I haven't even got to. But point being, it's not just depth chart fillers. Lane Kiffin, once again, has impact starters via the transfer portal, the number one ranked transfer class. And when you look at what Ole Miss is set to return, led by Jackson Dart, Quinshawn Judkins, and wide receiver Trey Harris, I think this is the makings of a playoff team next season, John. I do too, Blake, and it's almost that's why that's what Lane Kiffin is about right now. It's almost as though this is his strategy. Uh, you look at, and I think more and more we have to look at college programs the way we do NFL franchises. If you have a, a franchise that's maybe on the brink of competing for a championship, your roster moves tend to be all about right now. What can you do to push this team over the top? Not just push it through the playoffs, but push it all the way to the Super Bowl. And I really think that's what Lane Kiffin is doing here. He's always been good at this portal stuff. When you think about Lane Kiffin, he's kind of been at the vanguard of everything in college football. Uh, Up-tempo offense, uh, spread, uh, those kind of things. He's just kind of been ahead of the curve, and here he is again. Uh, I think it takes a lot of of fortitude uh, to to go all in on the portal the way he has. There's a risk involved. It's as though you've got a player for a year or two, but you're not building anything. Then you're going to have to stay on this the transfer treadmill, so to speak. You can't get off or you're – whoa, you go way down. But he's making this work, and he's showing that you can do it. And I think another positive factor for Ole Miss is I think players see it as a transfer sanctuary. Here's where we can go, and we know we will be welcome. We know it's work for others. It's working for Ole Miss, and it can work for us too. So we won't. It won't be unusual for us to go into a new locker room as an outsider. Just about everybody in the locker room at one time was an outsider. So I think I think he's really making this work, and it's it's really done something for Ole Miss football. Yeah, and it, it strikes me that he's using basically other SEC schools as his farm system, right? I mean, he's not necessarily rating the best players off Alabama or Georgia, sure, but he's taking good players uh, off of comparable programs, right? I mean, you know, Tennessee, they were they were in the Orange Bowl last year, and he just snagged two of the better players off this Tennessee defense. Not all stars, but guys that were contributors for multiple seasons for Tennessee. You look at Juice Wells. When he was healthy, he was South Carolina's best receiver. Now, he dealt with injuries this past year, but we've seen how good he is when he's healthy. And and, and one guy I've I haven't mentioned yet, maybe it's because I'm terrified of having to pronounce his, his last name, but Florida's sacks leader, uh, the edge rusher, Princely, I'm going to try it here, John, Princely Uman Mielen. How do you think I did? I think Princely you did Uman really Mielen? well. Yeah. yeah, I was looking at it, and I I, uh, I put a slash sign in between and kind of broke it like you did into two names, mm-hmm. the Uman and then, me Ellen or and 
it's kind of a foreign name, so it could have a completely different pronunciation. It might be pronounced Thomas for all we know. Yeah, apologies you, to Princely, and yes. he would probably sack both of us uh, if he could hear us pronouncing his last name, which I'm sure is off a little bit. But he was he was one of the best players on on Florida's defense, and now he's headed to to Ole Miss with with so many others. So, you know, last year Lane got several good players off of a group of five programs. And you can you can help your roster that way, right? But I, I think it's even more noteworthy that now in this cycle, he's getting guys from from other SEC rosters. You know, I, I mentioned Trey Harris, uh, their best wide receiver. They got him, you know, in the last cycle from Louisiana Tech. So that so they went down a level. And of course, those guys that are standouts at the group of five are going to be interested uh, in coming up to play for the SEC. But now. He's not just taking guys from those those group of five rosters. He's taking, um, you know, high level contributors around the SEC, and and these are the type of prospects that maybe Ole Miss can't typically historically get the first time through, but for whatever reason, Ole Miss is looking pretty good the second time through, and again, it's just it's raised the ceiling for this program, and and as we look ahead, you know, to the twelve team playoff for next year, the SEC. I think in a lot of years is going to be getting four or five bids in this playoff. And if you want to start at the top, you're, you're, you're penciling in Alabama and Georgia most years, right? And so that leaves two or three spots for a lot of teams that are going to consider themselves playoff contenders. I mean, you think about Texas and Oklahoma coming in. LSU is going to be a team that wants to be a perennial playoff contender. Uh, Auburn, Texas A&M, Tennessee, Florida, right? On, on down the line. Everybody's going to think they're playoff contenders, but Ole Miss, I think, really has to be on that short list of teams that are going to be built to contend for the playoff in year one. And what a statement that would be for that program, um, you know, no matter how far they were, would advance if they were to make the playoff, just to be in the field in year one. Uh, I mean, I think that's something you can continue to build around, certainly, as you, you know, as they continue to make themselves to destination for transfer talent. When I look at Ole Miss's acquisitions, and I, I'm not saying it's it's not getting a passel of all SEC players. Who who does that? But it it's getting guys who are kind of on the fringe, like Talibaron of Tennessee, uh, Princely, Yuman. We, we we tried it once. We don't have to try it again. Yeah. Okay, Princely. Those are two guys that could be all sec players add two all sec players to your defense chris paul in arkansas a linebacker very productive a lot of tackles uh those kind of players solid players and so you can uh, the cameron richardson the cornerback from mississippi state you look at this depth chart at the future depth chart on offense and defense and this definitely this looks like some people you could pick Ole Miss to win the SEC. It wouldn't be so far-fetched. If you were looking to try something different, maybe one of us will do that. You you would be looking – Ole Miss would qualify because it's got a good quarterback. He's not all SEC yet, but he's gotten better. He's got some talent. We know that. And Quinshawn Judkins, one of the top running backs in the country, he'll be returning. And you look at what Georgia and Alabama could be lo losing. We don't know yet to, 
not so much to the transfer portal as to the NFL. You could make a, a case for Ole Miss uh, winning the SEC. That 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 seems like a a bit of a reach to me, John. I mean, I, I still have visions of the Alabama and especially the Georgia games rattling around in, in my brain this year. But I, I know I do too. And also, it's an image about Ole Miss that I can't see Lane Kiffin quite winning those kind of games. It, however, I didn't see Lane Kiffin winning that game against LSU this year. And he won that one. Uh, maybe and, and that's we- going to be a big one next year. Cause as I look at the schedule, of course, you know, divisions are gone. And so that, that shakes everything up. And so Ole Miss's schedule next year, some of the, the top games, the toughest challenges will be at LSU. They host Georgia, but absent from the schedule next year, John is Alabama. So there's, there's two big ones there, LSU and Georgia. You've, and and I guess I overlooked Oklahoma SEC newcomer as well. So those those will be three that are circled on the calendar. You go one and two even in that three game stretch and take care of business elsewhere. I mean, you're sitting at ten and two and and playing a first round college football playoff game. I'm wondering was the did you notice that the Oklahoma game was in Oxford? I kind of think it is. It is in Oxford. Yes. So two of those are at home. Oklahoma and Georgia are at home, and then LSU a mid-October game in Baton Rouge. If they were playing tomorrow, I would favor Ole Miss against Oklahoma uh, in Oxford. So, yeah. So, yeah, I think playoff is certainly a real possibility. But when I brought up that thing that you quickly swatted down about Ole Miss could win the SEC, could be picked to win the SEC, what's interesting to me about that perspective is that now – it's easier. It will be easier to make the playoff than to win the SEC. You might even could say could be easier to win the national title than to win the SEC. Mm, now you're sounding like a spokesman for the folks down in Birmingham, the Birmingham offices, John. Apologies. <laughs> okay. I want to run something by you, John, as I look at the recruiting class rankings, pivoting away from from the transfer portal. Uh, and again, these things can fluctuate after this recording, and it sort of depends on your ranking service of choice. But by and large, Florida State with Mike Norvell has a top five recruiting class. Now, we know in the past, Mike Norvell's been pretty darn good at adding transfers as well. Hasn't been as active on that front yet, but but that could change here um, in, in coming days and weeks. But just looking at that recruiting class, Top five class for the Seminoles. I wrote recently, John, that, you know, despite all the backlash about Florida State missing the playoff this year, it's the final year of a four-team playoff. Next year, the way the playoff is set up is the top five conference champions get automatic bids into the playoff, and then seven at large. And to get a bye into the quarterfinals, there'll be four teams that get a bye into the quarterfinals. To get a bye, right now the rules say you have to be a conference champion. I recently made the argument, Florida State fans didn't like it, John, that Florida State could be better off staying in the ACC, being the king of that castle, winning that conference in more years than not, and usually getting a bye into the playoff quarterfinals as one of the top conference champions, as long as the playoff rules for the 12-team playoffs stay as they are now. Now, like I said, Florida State fans, I heard from plenty of them, 
told me I was a moron and that Florida State needs to get out the door as quick as they can to either the Big Ten or the SEC. Uh, the theory being more money would await in those conferences. But, you know, I don't see a lot of fan bases, a lot of athletes, a lot of coaches hoisting a trophy to celebrate a revenue championship or, or hanging banners to celebrate top <laughs> 10 revenue finishes, right? Like, yes, more revenue would await in the Big Ten or the SEC, but in some instances, it's more money, more problems, right? Or in this case, more money, more losses. And as I look at that ACC, knowing that their conference champion is going to be snapping up an auto bid, 12 of the last 13 years, John, it's been either Clemson or Florida State to win that conference. So if they stay put, even though they're at, a, at somewhat of a revenue disadvantage in these TV deals, to me, they'd have a pretty good path to the playoff most years. They got to be better than Clemson, win the ACC, and they could be playing in the quarterfinals. What do you think? Is Florida State better off if they can find a way out of their ACC media rights deal? Are they better off trying to get into the Big Ten or the SEC? Or do you buy my idea that maybe they ought to think twice about leaving the ACC with the playoff expanding to 12 teams? I think it's an easier path to the playoff, certainly. Uh, Revenue-wise, SEC, Big Ten are better. I guess my concern about the ACC would be the Pac-12. I don't think that will happen to the ACC, but what if it did? I I guess I'm thinking in terms Mm of catastrophic uh, circumstances uh, because you have a lot of schools in that that conference that just aren't really up to snuff. When you start talking about, and we don't know where this is headed, but a popular theory is eventually the SEC will be gone and you'll have maybe – three super conferences, about 60 teams in them. And you might want to say two super conferences or whatever, uh, again, like an NFL model. That would long-term, that would be my concern for Florida State. If it had a chance to get in the SEC and didn't take it, I think that might be something that it could prove to be a, a big mistake. It's proved to be a big mistake to me in a way for Florida State even joining the ACC because it would have been a free agent, so to speak, in this expansion era. But I can certainly buy your case for playoff entry. The other thing about the SEC to me that is an incentive is you recruit, yes, you're recruiting for individual conference schools. But in a way, you're also recruiting to the conference to be able to tell a recruit you're going to be competing against the best players in the country. You're going to be competing against future NFL guys. You'll be lining, you're an offensive tackle. You'll be lining up against a future NFL pass rusher. You can look good on tape. I think that's always kind of been a selling point to the SEC, and that's not. That's not an intangible thing. You can look there and look at every NFL draft, and the SEC is is very dominant. So that might be it. But when you talk just about the playoff, yeah, I like it. I like Florida State's ACC. In fact, I'll just put them in the playoff right now for twenty four. Let's Your go crystal, ahead and do that. 
Okay, yeah, the committees. We we, we've we've talked in the past about how the committee likes crystal balls uh, yeah. to assign playoff bids. Your crystal ball is showing uh, Florida State winning the ACC next year and then getting a, a bye to the the quarterfinals of the first twelve team playoff. All right. I yeah, and, and Blake, you might know this, and, and I I know it's speculation, but what is the uh, CFP going to do about the Pac twelve? I mean, it can't get an automatic bid. Well, that's why they've gone down. You know, if you recall, there were supposed to be six automatic bids and six at-larges. And so now they've changed the format. Five and seven. Five and seven. And so theoretically, there's one up for grabs there. Uh, If you think four of the five automatics, one's going to go to the SEC, one's going to go to the Big Ten, another to the Big 12, and another to the ACC. The rules don't say they have to go to those conferences, but of course they're going to, right? They're, they're going to snag four of the five auto bids, and then there would be one more up for grabs a- after that. So that basically the Pac-12 falling through increased the number of at-large bids by one and decreased the number of auto bids by one, which is something the SEC celebrated and pushed for. The more at-large bids, the better for them, right? And that would be my concern if I'm Florida State staying in the ACC would be how long until the SEC pushes to change the rules of this playoff further and where there are no automatic bids for conference champions. And it's just an at-large party. And, you know, the SEC is trying to snag nine, nine or 10 spots and the big 10 gets the rest. And that's that there's your, there's your playoff. But I don't know if the SEC truly wants that, John, they they like a, you know, they like to thump the chest and declare themselves champions of the universe. I think that works a little better if you allow a couple of token bids to these other conferences in a 12-team playoff, and then and then you win the national championship. Say, hey, we gave them a spot, and they weren't up to the task. Well, here's the thing, Blake. Think about an Alabama situation, a very controversial decision, its selection over Florida State for the playoff. Do you think Alabama's not only is it happy about being in the playoff, it's happy that it won't be playing Georgia again. So mm-hmm. this the SEC is not fond of infighting. I think if you let I I remember you wrote in your column about one of the supposed, and I say supposed because suppose we we just don't know what's going on in the heads of the committee members, but which team would you less like least like to face so to speak like that's a criterion well i think georgia would say well we we don't want to play alabama um you know it might say we don't want to play missouri either so don't be putting them in this thing i I just think sec not only does it it boast of its superiority it really believes that. And when it comes down to choosing who you want to whom you want to play, it says, Yeah, we'll we'll go with these outsiders. We we don't need any more SEC teams coming into this party. Sticking with the playoff, but bringing it more to our present here, John. Um, of course, a the big playoff game for as as it pertains to the SEC is is Alabama against Michigan in the Rose Bowl. Um but outside of the playoff, you got a few SEC teams, which we've mentioned before in New Year's Six games. Ole Miss against Penn State in the Peach Bowl, Missouri against Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl, and then uh, Georgia, Florida State in the Orange Bowl. Taking the playoff out of the mix, which bowl game, whether it be New Year's Six or otherwise, John, do you think is 
maybe kind of most important for the SEC uh, or I guess define it how, how you want. It has the best storyline, um, you know, is the game to watch outside of the college football playoff. Two really stick out to me, like um, Missouri versus Ohio State and Ole Miss versus Penn State. Missouri, from its standpoint, I mean, I had the Tigers finishing six in the SEC. A rare mistake by me for on, on a prediction. But uh, Missouri is its kind of, you know, how teams like to say, we're going to shock the world. I, I, I don't know if Missouri shocked the world this season, but it surprised it a little bit, at least the college football world. And I think to beat a program with uh, Ohio State's pedigree, that would be, I think it would be something to further uh, Missouri's increased status. For Missouri to sell, this is who we are now. We go to head-to-head with a perennial championship contender, beat it on a neutral field. We're not the old Missouri. This is Eliah Drinkowitz's uh, new Missouri. It's not the one that lost to Army in a bowl game in the last last-minute drive. So new Missouri played Georgia very competitively, uh, and and now it's proved it could be, it could beat a uh, Big Ten powerhouse. So to me, that game means a lot. Uh, and you mentioned Ole Miss as well. Ole Miss, we've talked about before, they have a chance to set a program record with 11 wins if they beat Florida State now, or excuse me, Penn State. Now, you've mentioned that that doesn't make it the best season in program history. Like it, <laughs> that they play more games now, right? So some of Ole Miss's best teams in the past, that's why they didn't get to 11 wins, right? But it would still be really notable if they would win this bowl game, get to 11 and two. You know, they had this opportunity a couple of years ago with Matt Corral team that played in the Sugar Bowl. Corral got hurt in the first quarter of that game against Baylor. Ole Miss lost. They finished 10-3. and three. So this is, you know, another shot at, at, I mean, basically they get a redo. Different team, sure, but it's similar stakes in the New Year's Six, um, you know, against, in, in this case, Penn State at a, at a shot to get to 11 victories. Yeah, and I just think anytime you can do something to bolster your resume and and point out uh, so much of this is about recruiting. And, not, and, and when we say recruiting now, we're not just talking about high schools. We've emphasized the transfer portal in our podcast from day one. This is a chance to get better immediately. And we're talking about we're right in the middle of the transfer season. But let's not forget that in the spring, there will be another opportunity to transfer. And I just think for Ole Miss – it's just a status thing. And I look at Penn State. I don't think of it as being so formidable. Uh, it kind of did what it usually does in the Big Ten. It has two big games. It loses both of them. Uh, it uh, pretty much uh, beats the stuffings out of mediocre Big Ten competition and winds up with a 10-win team. Uh, so, uh, But it looks good on your resume. Better say to beat, to me, to beat Penn State than to beat Baylor in a bowl game. How about, though, the the Orange Bowl, John, uh, the other New Year's Six involving an SEC team, in this case, Georgia? Uh, I don't know that on paper 
that's the most interesting game because there's been so many opt-outs, particularly from the Florida State side. Waters down that matchup. Of course, we know Jordan Travis, the Florida State quarterback, won't be playing. He got hurt in Week 11, and the committee used that as at least their public reason, part of their public reason uh, for keeping Florida State out of the playoffs in addition to Crystal Ball. Uh, gazing. But now Florida State's had some opt-outs on top of that. Johnny Wilson, one of their best wide receivers, has opted out. Trey Benson, their star running back, uh, has opted out. So this is far from a, uh, a Florida State team punching at its full weight. And yet, still, I think this is a big storyline game because it's going to, rightly or wrong, it's going to put the committee on trial a little bit. And I actually think it's wrong because Florida State probably wouldn't have these opt-outs if it was in the playoffs, right? Trey Benson, no. Johnny Wilson, and the like. I mean, they'd be playing um, in playoff games. We haven't really seen opt-outs take hold in college football yet in, in the playoffs. Maybe that day is coming, but it's not here now. And so I don't really think this is a fair litmus test for whether Florida State should or shouldn't have been in or not, or even whether Georgia should or shouldn't have been in the playoff or not. However, even though that's not the way I see it, I think that's going to be a big narrative around this game is either the committee quote unquote got it right or got it wrong based on how this plays out. Despite the fact that you have all these opt outs, you know, circling around in the background. I think if, if Florida state was competitive against Georgia with all these opt outs, this is not the team would have, that would have played in the college football playoff. As you said, they wouldn't have opted out. Also, with its backup quarterback, if it's very competitive against Georgia, uh, which some people, and and I mean, I, Georgia still might be the best team in the country. I, I think that's a fair argument. It yeah. did lose to Alabama but by three points, but we've seen a lot of Georgia. And on its best day, I don't think anybody is better. So if Florida State should uh, be very competitive in that game, with the cast it has, I think it has, it, it will voice that opinion uh, more strongly. We were done wrong and we belonged in that playoff. And, and I think that would be a valid contention on Florida state's part. As we look to the playoff, John, I, as I mentioned, it's Alabama, Michigan and in the Rose bowl. And regardless of what we think of the committee's decisions and seating, on down the line, as far as just matchups alone, it's kind of a dream matchup, really. I think you know, blue-blooded programs um, meeting in the Rose Bowl. You got Big Ten representation in the Rose Bowl. Washington got bumped; they're they're not in the Rose Bowl, but still, in terms of matchups, I mean, you couldn't draw it up much better. But if you're Alabama, since the committee has this conversation of who you do and don't want to play, let's have that conversation. Uh, if for Alabama to, to win the national championship, they've got to play two out of these these three teams, Michigan, Texas, and Washington. Which would be the one that you think, if you got Nick Saban to tell the truth, you could you could give him some truth serum or something and, and see what he really thinks. Who do you think is the team he he wouldn't want to face out of these three? Now I know your your top answer might be Georgia. You may not want to rematch with, with Georgia, but just limiting it to the playoff teams, who do you think is the one that Saban and Alabama really would rather avoid in this playoff if they could? Oh, I think it's Texas. Uh, 
Texas, I know it was way back in September, and you can make the case, well, Alabama's offense is different now. It's built around Jalen Milrow, who was shaky in that game. I think coaches look at a roster and and they evaluate talent, and I think talent is what sways them the most. A team may, may be very scrappy. It may be very resourceful, but I think talent – is what scares a coach the most because it's the idea, what could that opponent do on its very best day? And coaches think of games in that in that perspective. They think of, oh, what if this team's at its best? How would we fare? And I don't know if even if Texas was at its best at Bryant-Denny Stadium, but it was sure better than Alabama. And I look at Texas, even though it's lost a really good running back, I don't see any real apparent weaknesses. I think that's another thing that bothers coaches when they can't find an obvious weakness. You look at, okay, where are we going to attack this defense? You could say with Texas secondary probably, Mm -hmm. but, but there aren't glaring shortcomings on Texas's depth chart. And I think that would bother it. Uh, You look at Washington and you see a team that's had a lot of close games, pulled it out. It's been clutch. It's been resourceful, has a great offense, but you still think, well, I don't know if it's as complete as Texas would be. So I think it would be, for Alabama, it would be Texas. I mean, it lost by 10 points on its home field. I I just don't see why it would be that confident. And you can say it's hard to beat a team twice, but I don't really buy that. I, I think you beat a team once before, there's no reason you can't do it again. To me, Texas would be the more confident team going into that matchup. Yeah, and they're so good at the line of scrimmage. You know, I think Alabama historically over the years uh, throughout Saban's dynasty has almost every time they stepped on the field enjoyed an advantage at the lines of scrimmage, both sides of the ball, really. Uh, that wasn't the case in week two uh, in that game in Tuscaloosa that Texas won. I think Alabama's offensive line has improved since then. They have a really good defensive line. So does Texas. Texas has one of the best run defenses in the country. Uh, but I don't think Alabama can can expect to say, hey, we're, we're going to strap it up and, and we'll have the better groups at the lines of scrimmage. I think they're pretty evenly matched. And as I said, in week two, Texas had the advantage. They got the perimeter weapons as well. And and folks can say, yeah, but Texas had some games this year where they didn't look so good. They were fortunate to beat Kansas State. True, Quinn Ewers didn't play in that game. Uh, He's back now. He's playing about as well as he ever has. Uh, The game against TCU, Texas got a lead, uh, let TCU back in the game, and you know won by just a a field goal. Really, kind of risked losing having a second loss in that game that would have knocked him out of the playoff. But those are several weeks ago, and so if we're going to say Alabama is not the same team that they were in week two, I think that's true. But I'm not sure Texas is the same team that they were several weeks ago either, particularly now that Ewers is back. Um, he played fantastic in that game against Oklahoma State uh, in the Big 12 championship. And so I tend to agree with you. I think Texas, just matchup-wise, I think matchup-wise, they're probably the toughest team that Alabama could face. I, I actually like this matchup better for Alabama in the semifinals, even though it's number one Michigan. Um, Michigan hasn't been doing much through the air the past several weeks. They haven't necessarily needed to. They're winning with defense and ground game, but I, know, I think I think you're going to have to throw for more than 150 yards to beat Nick Saban, and 
we haven't seen Michigan do that in a while. So I, I think the first first round matchup here, despite what the seeds may say, um, I think that uh, I, I kind of like Alabama in, in round one. I do too, Blake. In fact, if I were Alabama, I would rather play Michigan than I would Washington. Because of the um, quarterback situation? Or, or do you look at it the beyond The quarterback that? in that overall offense of Washington's. Uh, I just think there's so much. And its defense isn't bad. Uh, and I just think Washington, and, and I, again, I mentioned, I think talent might scare coaches more, but we've got a long track record of how Washington has come through in the clutch. It would be very comfortable to me in a playoff environment in the last five minutes with everything on the line. It's it's risen to the occasion repeatedly. Uh, but I just think this is an overall skilled, very skilled offense with a decent defense too. But that offense, I think I, I would rather – you know what Michigan's going to try and do. It's basically going to say we're going to line up and we're going to whip Alabama at the line of scrimmage. That's its best path to victory. It's got a terrific offensive line, although it's lost its best offensive lineman to injury. So, but still, that's the strength of his team with good running backs. It's got a better offensive line and better running backs than Alabama. So to me, that's that's how it could see winning that game. And if I'm Alabama and I think, okay, that's what I will have to stop to advance to the championship, I would say, okay, we'll go with that. We'll take our chances. Yeah, whereas I think, you know, we were talking about Texas at the line of scrimmage, but they're a more well-rounded team. I think we both like Quinn Ewers. We both like their wide receivers. Feels like they got some pretty good punch in addition to what they got on the offensive and defensive lines. All right, let's make some picks, John. I won uh, I won the regular season title, but we're on to the postseason now. Throw the records out the window. We'll pick the, uh, the three New Year's Six games involving... SEC teams, plus we'll pick both playoff games. So five games total. Let's start with the Orange Bowl. Florida State against Georgia. Georgia, a 14-point favorite. I'll bat leadoff here. I'm taking Georgia, John, at Florida State. Even without Jordan Travis, if they didn't have all these opt-outs, I would take Florida State to cover the spread. But because they're going to be missing some of their best offensive weapons and they're already without their their starting quarterback. I just struggle to see Florida State being especially competitive in this game. And and again, it's it, I think it's kind of a shame that the narrative will be, well, Florida State didn't belong in the playoff. Just look at what happened in the Orange Bowl. Well, we don't know what Florida State would have looked like without all these opt outs in the playoff. But considering their roster situation, I'll take Georgia to cover fourteen points. Yeah, I would. I would take Georgia, too, in that situation. I, I think uh, there is a motivational challenge here for Georgia. True. But I think Kirby Smart's one of the best motivators in college football. And I think he will play that we belonged in the playoff. That's going to be, to me, that would be his pregame speech. Uh, we got left out of the playoffs. After all we've accomplished, back-to-back national championship. We've won ten two national championships, 
and people still disrespect us. They still don't believe we're for real. Well, here's our chance to show the world just how good we are. And keep in mind, it beat an Ole Miss team, a good Ole Miss team, a 10-2, top 10 type Ole Miss team, 52-7, to seven, some score of that nature. Uh, I think Georgia will come out there with the idea of just beating Florida State as badly as it can. Yeah, I agree. I think a different team with a different coach may have a hard time, you know, getting fired up for this game. I don't think Georgia is going to have the pro- that problem. Motivation, you know, maybe shouldn't be an issue for Florida State either. If they want to prove people wrong, this is a great opportunity to do it. I just don't think they have the bodies uh, to match, you know, maybe the mental preparation there. All right, moving on, Ole Miss against Penn State in the Peach Bowl. Penn State, a three and a half point favorite. Who are you taking here, John? I'm taking Penn State, going against my SEC roots there. Ole Miss struggled against some good defenses this year, struggled against Alabama. Strangely enough, struggled against Mississippi State. Penn State is by no means a complete team. Its passing game is lacking, doesn't have uh, playmakers really at receiver, but its defense is really good. And so I will take, I will give the points to Ole Miss and to you because I know you're taking Ole Miss. You are correct. Even though I'm taking Penn State to win the game, I know certain listeners of the podcast faithfully read every word I write, and I appreciate those 12 people who do that. Um, But those 12 people recall that I picked Florida State to win this game, or excuse me, Penn State, keep calling them Florida State. Yeah, I I picked Penn State to win this game in a column I wrote a couple weeks ago, and I still think Penn State wins the game straight up for all the reasons you said. I really like Penn State's defense. And yet when I see that three-and-a-half-point spread, I think, well, I don't think Penn State's going to score much. I think they're going to win a close game behind its defense. I don't think they're going to score a ton. So I'm trying to thread the needle here of I think Penn State's going to win (laughs) but not cover. So I'll take Ole Miss in the three-and-a-half points. Yeah, I could see this being a 20-17 to game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. How about uh, the last New Year's Six involving an SEC team? Uh, You at different times, John, have been the conductor of the Missouri hype train. At other times, you've been one of the leading skeptics. I know you've apologized profusely for that, but I don't want to let you off the hook too easily. Uh, So we'll see whether you're in that conductor's chair or not this week, because Missouri, they're favored against Ohio State. John, they're favored by two and a half points in the Cotton Bowl. Now, part of this is because uh, Ohio State dealing with some opt-outs. We don't know exactly how many of their star players are going to play in this game. It's a little bit murky, particularly you know some of their skill position guys on offense. But what we do know is their starting quarterback, Kyle McCord, he's not playing. He's transferring. So the Buckeyes will be without, a, without their, their QB1 for this game. And so that's influenced the line. Missouri's two and a half points favorite so are you taking the tigers or are you turning heel oh i'm taking the tigers um ohio state it's it's not just opt-outs how many there might be it's i mean certainly it has a more talented roster than missouri but you know how it fact you know how what factors so into these uh bowl games bowl outcomes so significantly is uh who wants to be there mm-hmm. who wants who wants to show people? 
what's Ohio State going to say? Hey, we beat Missouri. That, that'll really galvanize its fan base. We beat Missouri. Ryan Day will say, be t- saying, well, we lost to Michigan, but we beat Missouri. No, nobody cares if you beat Missouri. Nobody. But for Missouri to beat Ohio State, that's what Eli Drinkowitz will be selling in that locker room and, and all week during preparation. Uh, Ohio State's a blue blood program. Mm-hmm. We we want to. We've been showing people all all year. We're going to show them in this game too. John, I don't sports bet for a number of reasons, and listeners to this podcast probably know that's a wise move, considering you and I both <laughs> failed to finish above uh-huh. five hundred in our regular season picks. So for a number of reasons, I don't bet on sports, um, and part of it is like I think sometimes when you, when you're betting, you go on feel. Right, which I don't really like doing things financially based on just a subjective feel. I think that's a good way to run out of money. Um, so, but I'm going to make my pick here based on that subjective feel and remind myself, Blake, this is why you don't bet on sports for a number of many other reasons. <laughs> because I agree with everything you said, but for reasons I can't explain, I just got a subjective feel that Ohio State's going to win this game. So I will take the Buckeyes and the two and a half points. Getting into the college football playoff now, John, we'll save the Rose Bowl for last. Texas is a four and a half point favorite against Washington in the Sugar Bowl. You would think Texas would have a crowd advantage there. Uh, We both bragged uh, about how good we think Texas's roster is. I understand the four and a half point line. I'm going to try to thread the needle again, John. Perhaps another reason why I shouldn't be betting on sports, all this needle threading, right? Uh, I think Texas is going to win the game, but that four and a half point spread scares me a little bit. Washington's been in so many close games this year. Wouldn't surprise me if this is another one, just the rate of of the number of games that kind of come down to the wire for them. I think Texas wins. I don't think Washington pulls this one out as they have all season. They've been pulling out these close games. I think it, it turns on them this time, but I, that four and a half point line scares me. So I will take Washington and the points, uh, even though I think Texas will win the game. You're preaching to the choir there. Uh, I look at it the same way. I mean, Washington could be down, uh, 11 points with a, with a minute to go and race down the field and, and score a touchdown Mm -hmm. and beat the spread. I, I think Texas will win the game. I feel pretty good about that. Uh, but four and a half, I could very easily see this being a three point game. So I will, I will take Washington in the points as well. And that leaves us with the Rose bowl, John, Alabama, Michigan. I feel like we've already tipped our hand here saying we like, uh, this matchup for Alabama. Well, Michigan is a point and a half favorite. I'm this wasn't subterfuge. I really, <laughs> I'm not turning now. I believe it. I think this is a good matchup for Alabama. Uh, I think they win. I think they get a rematch with Texas in the national championship. Uh, we'll see if that happens. I'll save my pick on that if it comes to fruition. But on this, I feel maybe better about this pick than I do about the, any of the four previous games we've picked. I'm taking Alabama, and uh, I don't think they'll need that point and a half because I think Alabama is going to win outright. I agree with you. I just think uh, Alabama's a better team. And again, 
a lot of this isn't just about who's the best. It's about how well you match up. And Michigan will have to win. It'll have to win with power football, basically. I don't see it just saying, oh, my gosh, we're playing Alabama. We need to throw 35 times. I don't see it changing its character. It's unbeaten. Why would it do that? It's beat, it beat Notre Dame with power football. No, I'm sorry. It beat Ohio State with power football. Uh, it, it can – and I know Iowa has absolutely no offense – but it did score 26 points on Iowa and could have scored more. Iowa's got a good defense. And so I, I really like Alabama in this game too. But it does concern me that everybody to whom I speak loves Alabama in this matchup. And when you look at it as from a gambling perspective, not as evaluating depth charts, that should always scare you that when everybody's going one way, it often goes the other way. Maybe you're just not talking to enough people up in Michigan, John. Maybe this is more a reflection of your your friend and acquaintance circle. It's my southern southern roots. That's right. You just had to slip that in there one more time for our Mm, producer who loves that southern accent. Uh, All right, we'll leave it there. John, uh, Merry Christmas to our listeners. If you want to give John and I a gift this uh, holiday season, we'd appreciate it. If you rate, subscribe, and review, those ratings really do help us. It's not just an ego boost, but those ratings help us find new listeners. Uh, Enjoy the bowl games. Enjoy the playoff. John and I will be back with you before the national championship. Thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered.